This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Liz Pierce. She is the chief executive officer at Liquid Planner, the fast-growing Seattle-based maker of predictive project management technology. She is responsible for the company's overall vision, strategic direction, and growth. She's an entrepreneurial leader with more than 15 years of marketing, product management, and technology leadership experience. She started her career at Liquid Planner as director of marketing in 2007 before being named COO in 2011 and CEO in August of 2012. Liz, are you ready to take us to the the top. I'm ready. Awesome. So you told us a great story back in episode 434. That was almost a year ago today about kind of how you made the transition to COO and then why it made sense for you to come in as CEO. So we won't focus this episode on that. You guys will go back and listen to NathanLacka.com forward slash the top 434 to hear that story. It's an amazing one from Liz. But Liz, what I want to pick up on is updates from last time. So, you know, last time you had articulated, you guys had passed 1800 customers, about 13 million bucks raised, uh, you you know, ARPUs annually were around the 10 grand mark. We're going to talk about all that and more. But first, for folks that are not familiar with Liquid Planner, how would you describe the platform? What do you do and what's your business model? Sure. So a lot of people um, are either accidentally or intentionally project managers in their job. And most people have used Microsoft Projects somewhere along the way. So kind of the easiest way to describe it is, you know, we're, we're a bit of the anti-Microsoft project, where in most systems, you as a project manager drive all the dates into the system and the system makes the schedule on the screen. In our case, we're actually calculating the schedule for you. So we're looking at your priorities, the people you have on your team and how much effort is required to do the work for your projects. And using those constraints, we calculate what's realistic to get things done. So how quickly can you deliver your projects given your priorities and the people you have? So we're automating that process of creating schedules and removing a lot of the manual overhead and manual updates that project managers have been saddled with for many, many years. So this is accelerating the pace of information for people working on, in our case, usually big complex projects and improving their visibility, their predictability, and their reliability of their data. And so we can get a better picture of your kind of average customer. You said usually big, much bigger projects. Is the annual contract value still around 10000 bucks per client or has it increased or decreased? It's, I mean, it's still around that, that amount, I would say. Um, you know, what we've seen recently is that more and more manufacturing companies are actually starting to move to cloud-based solutions for project management, and they're seeing a, a particular benefit from our approach to project management. And so this is typically an engineering organization, a, a group that's doing both R&D on new product development, and also, you know, customizing products for customers um, doing maintenance work. So they have a lot going on and the, the projects are typically very complex. And so they're the ones that need the most 
tracking. They need to really understand where their resources are being used and how much these projects cost to deliver. So if we take back and, and we just look at all the new customers you added last month, what percentage of them would you say fit that exact cohort? An engineering firm, highly complex, 10 plus seats? Yeah, I would say um, last month it was probably in the in the 40 to 50% ballpark. So we're still selling a lot to technology companies, to professional services firms, um, to other types of organizations. Um, but our f- focus right now in terms of going to market is to reach those people who have that specific pain point. Lots of different types of engineers, lots of concurrent complex projects. And for them, the stakes are very high because if you don't know when your your new product is ready to roll into production, then you either have inventory that's sitting there idle or equipment that's sitting there idle. And so, you know, like I said, the stakes are high. So we want to really help those organizations um, just get better at what they do. And how many organizations have, cho- have they said, you know what, Liquid Planner, it's our chosen one. Last time it was about 1,800 customers. What are you at today? Yeah, we're still around. We're still around that mark because we're kind of, you know, we're starting to see more customers with more users um, as the functionality improves. Um, you know, we, we kind of see the smaller ones maybe going to task management solutions versus, you know, really investing in Liquid Planner but the larger customers are getting more licenses. So um, still around the same amount, yeah. So you're seeing kind of the Atlassians, the Trellos, the base camps maybe erode your lower ARPU, smaller team cohort. However, the enterprise cohort is becoming stickier. Yeah, and I would say that's, that, you know, that's somewhat a reflection of the product and it's somewhat a reflection of where we're investing. So we have customer success managers that are really experts in these larger complex products projects. And so we, we have those people really focused on the customers in that bullseye of, you know, complexity, regulation, and innovation is the other factor that we see, you know, these, these companies are trying to do new things to grow, and they need a platform to support that growth. What's your team size now? We're about 65. 65 folks, right? Yeah. And all, all in Seattle? We actually have a couple folks um, spread out. We have a co- one on the East Coast, one up in Canada, one in California. So we're, we're starting to get, you know, a few more remote folks as we go. Guys, big news. Last month was a huge month for the company I recently acquired, which was www.thetopinbox.com. I liked the company so much when I met the person who created it. It lets you send emails later on Gmail, set up reminders like snooze almost to keep your inbox clean, do things like send auto follow-ups and do open tracking so you know when your emails get opened. It's great if you're in sales or CEO or trying to be more productive. So listen, I bought the whole company on the spot and I want to tell you how I did it. I've showed the deal, by the way, to big, smart people, private equity firms, VCs, and they're dumbfounded. They go, Nathan, how did you do this? We've never seen a deal like this. How did you do this? So I did an unbelievable deal. And I want to show you the income report. So for me to send you the income report, go to www.thetopinbox.com. Click the red button that says install this on Gmail. And when you do that, my email will appear. It'll appear in a little uh, Gmail pop-up window. Send me an email and I'll reply immediately with the income report. And you can see how I'm buying and growing small B2B SaaS companies. That's www.thetopinbox.com. Totally free to try and use. www.thetopinbox.com. Now, just so we can get a sense of before we, I want to talk more about growth strategies and how you're seeing the overall market. Before we do that, I want to try and back into revenue quickly if you're comfortable talking about it. So, 1,800 customers, you know, paying, we'll call it around 10 grand per year. I mean, if I multiply those together, you're doing about 1.5 million per month, or if that number is high or low, why? Uh, Yeah. So, you know, 
I'm not going to comment on the revenue at this point. There's, you know, we're, we're getting up to that point where it's better for us to kind of, you know, keep that, that number close. But, um, you know, there is a range within the 1800 customer base. So, um, you know, in the ballpark, but I got to keep that number under wraps. Well, just to be clear, I mean, that, that sounds like really healthy growth. So you, you, can we say, can we put a big range on it to keep it somewhat vague? Can we say 1.5 million per month, plus or minus five? five to $15 million in revenue a year. Perfect. That's great. Five to 15. <laughs> That's good. No. So last time we spoke, which is about a year ago, I thought, I think you actually gave me a number. You were smaller than, but you I think you said around 600 or 650,000 per month in revenue at that point. So is it accurate to say you about doubled year over year or is that too aggressive? No, no, that's too aggressive. Too aggressive. Yeah. What are you growing yeah. at right now? Would you say year over year? You know, we're in the solid double digits. So, um, you know, some of, some of the changes we made in our go-to-market strategy are, you know, long-term investments. And so we're, we're intentionally, maybe making some changes that impact short-term growth for that long-term growth. Okay. So call it, you know, 10 to 30% year over year growth, something like that. Still pretty healthy. Sure. That's a, that's a fair range. Okay, great. Okay. Take me through acquisition. So this is a really, I mean, it's a competitive space. I mean, you've talked about it a little Very. bit. Yeah. <laughs> what are, what are, tell me about, you strike me as someone who's pretty creative. What are some of the weird things you've done to acquire customers? The weird things we've done to acquire customers. Um, I don't, we haven't really done a ton of what you might call guerrilla marketing. I know a lot of folks have done some really weird things. Um, we actually have, a, I think, a pretty sophisticated marketing organization for the size company we are. So we're running um, multiple tests and multiple channels. You know, a lot of our, I would say about 40, 40 to 45% of our leads are paid, you know, direct paid leads where we're working in different paid channels and then the rest are all organic. So we're just like a content machine. We're, we're publishing on our blog multiple times a week. We're creating eBooks and white papers and downloadable assets. Um, I think we've done some, some cool things in that vein. Um, but it's, you know, it's B2B. So it's people want information and that's what we're trying to provide. When you as a CEO look at acquisition costs, do you typically divide in the salaries of all your content producers to get a fully weighted cost? Oh, or- yeah. You do. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you're an engineering mind. So tell us how that calculation works in your brain. Yeah. Teach us about I mean, fully we, weighted CAC. We look at the entire sales and marketing costs all in, um, and compare that to the, the customer lifetime value of the account. Um, and you know, it's SAS math and your, your desired ratio is you want at least a three X return on your investment to acquire a customer. How quickly um, do you want that return? Well, you want to get, you want to recoup your costs in the first year. Okay. And are you guys doing that currently? Um, we are close. We're, we're, we're probably a a little past the first year. Um, again, this is all in the SaaS business. It's all about all the knobs and dials you can turn. If we, you know, take on this activity, it may, you know, you may get more growth on, on the back end, but you're getting stickier customers. So that's kind of where we are now you know, we're, we're starting to see different retention patterns in different types of customers. And even if the customer's upfront deal may be smaller than what we might get in another vertical, if they end up staying three times as long, that ends up being a better deal for, for both parties. And so we're, we're weighing those things side by side. One of the things I, a lot of SaaS founders, especially ones that are your size, or even sometimes bigger, they get stuck on is you can 
you can out analyze. I mean, you could chop your customer base into 10,000 different cohorts. You know, it was sunny when they signed up on the West coast of California. <laughs> analysis right? paralysis. Yeah, totally. So how do you structure and more importantly, keep your team focused on like measuring the important things, but still making decisions without complete data? Yeah. We actually just hired our first business analyst. Um, she started about a month ago, so she's she's the most in-demand person at the company right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a combination of, you know, your gut telling you what things to look at and then using data to make a decision one way or the other. So not every, you know, you could analyze your business to death and not be paying attention to the right thing. Um, we're looking to do more sophisticated analysis around things like which precise types of usage behavior lead to either conversion or retention or growth activity that we may not be aware of. We have kind of, you know, even at, at our age and stage, it's hard to get really precise engagement metrics that are truly meaningful. And the ones that we've typically used may not be the right ones at all. So, um, I think we're, we're coming up on the point where we'll be able to look with the help of you know, new team members at trying to correlate in-app usage to, you know, customer behavior. What's the number one thing like you've got to get a new customer to do in the first week to make sure they get over that first kind of retention hump? What's the actual activity? Yeah. So what we need to happen is a light bulb moment around the fact that you don't put start dates into Liquid Planner. You don't put finish dates into Liquid Planner. You drag and drop things into the right order. The schedule is going to recalculate automatically. And so we want to get people to reorder work, observe the, the schedule itself changing based on that action, and realize that, oh, this is me not having to go manually update every single date in my plan. Liquid Planner is doing it for me. So that's what we want to get them to get in the first minute. That's awesome, guys. I, I'm asking Liz these questions because it's such an important exercise, especially with B2B products that are more complex than consumer-facing ones. You know, Facebook had such an advantage when they figured out one key thing, seven friends in the first seven days. If you did that, they knew you were going to stick for a long time. And so Liz is doing it right now, but all of you should be thinking about what is that thing we have to get people to do that most directly correlates to retention and customer value? Yeah, we actually, just this year, we we staffed that as a full-time role within our product organization. So um, with you, if you have a B2B application, you start accumulating surface area in the product. You start fielding requests for new functionality that your customers want or your prospects want. And it's very tempting to you know, follow the latest bright, shiny object. And if you aren't simultaneously allocating resources to figuring out that, you know, first in-app experience or what that thing is that will get a customer over the hump, um, you know, you're probably doing a disservice to your business. Last few questions, this one word answers, hopefully last month, what was total just paid spend? How much total did you spend? Oh, I don't know. I, I have to check. We actually cut our spend by 25% and, and kept our lead volume the same or better. So oh, wow. I have to go what back. Is it, what is it definitely, what was it definitely less than? A hundred thousand. Okay. Definitely less than a hundred grand. Okay. And then, um, customer acquisition costs. Now you, it's going to be tough for you because you said you had different cohorts, but let's just talk about your sweet spot cohort, your enterprise cohort, these engineering firms, what are you paying to acquire those guys? Yeah. I mean, it does vary. So I would say, you know, between 7,500 and, and 15,000. Yep. And that matches your kind of annual contract value. You're getting paid back between, you know, nine and 14 months ish, something like that. Yeah. And again, you know, to, to the earlier point, 
once you figure out the exact kind of customer you want, you have to take a different approach to marketing. Um, you may end up spending a little more upfront to get someone who will stay a lot more, you know, after they convert. So we're, we're figuring out that right balance, but I think it's important to, to be looking at. Logo churn annually. I don't know. Not I important for MRR. you. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't, I, I'm not as upset if I churn out a, a one user customer <laughs> where I would be for a 200 user customer. So, so let's so, switch to what you're talking about, which is revenue retention. What, what is that? Yeah. At? And are you negative yet? Um, so, so you're probably talking about net retention, which is something that we're, we're starting to look at more closely. I would say in, in the target customer set that we're going after, after we're, we're about a hundred percent net retention. Um, and, and I think in our space where it is a, a, a product type that is easier to kind of go on or off of. I'm going to start a project over here and then I'm going to do my next project over here and see which one I like better. Um, you know, also still selling a lot to the SMB. I think it's fairly typical. Yep. Sounds good. Uh, let's wrap up here, Liz, with the famous five. Oh, real quick. You didn't have you raised additional capital or still at 13 million? Still. So that's good. Million, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Good. Good. And have, are you guys cash flow positive yet? Or are you still a little bit in the red? We're, you know, we're hovering. Flirting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Most CEOs, it's funny, you can learn about the risk tolerance because they'll say, well, we're hovering like plus or minus five grand black or red, or someone will say plus or minus 200 grand or 500 grand. You get a sense of the risk level of the CEO by getting what that plus or minus is around the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm not sweating payroll. That's good. That's very good. <laughs> I'm sure all your employees listening love hearing that. Let's, yes. <laughs> let's wrap up Liz with the famous five. Number one, what's your uh, favorite business book? Um, I would say search inside yourself, search inside yourself. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, as of this morning, I'm, I'm paying a lot of attention to uh, Manny Medina who runs, um, outreach.io, which is a great tool for SDRs. If, um, your organization has them, um, he's, he's doing incredible things. Number three is their favorite besides your own is their favorite online tool you have. Lately, I've been digging Bamboo HR, which is another SaaS tool for, you know, companies in, in our size range. Um, but they're doing a lot of really interesting things around performance management and, and helping to understand your employee engagement, keeping all your benefits in one place, your org charts. And so I'm spending time there. That's great. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Seven. Seven. Okay. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kiddos? Um, I have kids. I am single. Um, how many kids? I have two kids, Aww. three if you count Liquid Planner. <laughs> three kids with Liquid Planner. And Liz, do you mind me asking how old you are? I am 40. Amazing. Okay, take us last question. Take us back 20 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self uh, knew? Um, I, was, I was thinking about this question, and I think I would probably tell myself that failure isn't the worst-case scenario. There you guys have it. Failure isn't the worst case scenario from Liz. Liz, such a pleasure. Guys, she's growing fast, 10 to 30% year over year. Look, she might be eroding some lower ARPU customers. She's not focused on kind of gross logo churn, much more focused on net revenue retention, which is up at the 100% mark. The magic number there is once you get negative, meaning expansion revenue is way greater than any revenue you lost. That's kind of a magic land for SaaS. She's doing it without raising additional capital, just 13 million bucks raised. 65 employees based in Seattle, again, helping you and really helping you predict how long tasks are going to take you so you can keep your stuff more organized and your tasks on time. Liz, thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan.